good. I'm grateful that um, Cindy introed my message for me today. I mean, <laughs> uh, we have been in our series on the coming of the Son of Man, and uh, we're going we're gonna to continue on. Um, the coming, coming of the Son of Man is that day when there will finally no longer be any trace of the curse left. Uh, that's good news, isn't it? That he will come as the conquering lion who is also the lamb, powerful over every other power, but tender towards us, the one slain from the foundation of the world, to execute in fullness his plan of redemption for all that has been lost and that all has been gone right. It all will be made right in him. That's going to be a good day. That is our blessed hope. And that's what this whole series has been about. So I like to declare that every week before we jump in. Because that, that's what it's about. We're not, we don't get too caught up in lots of details and symbols. We want to know there's a day when Jesus is coming back. It's promised, and he is perfect, and he has a perfect plan. And uh, he has given to us his plan so that we can stand with him as friends, agree with him, and, and see his plan come to pass, not just passively, but us actively involved as his bride, as his church. Amen? But I wanted to start from this place. The book of Revelation is about seeing Jesus, right? It's a revelation, a revealing, like the curtain is pulled back on the beauty of Jesus in a, in a way that is necessary. We need it. And chapter 1 starts with this declaration of this one who is the lamb, who is the lion. Um, John writes this greeting to the church, and that's us. So you can just receive it as his greeting to you. Revelation chapter 1, it says this, starting in verse 4, Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. He's coming. And from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is the part I wanted to, to launch from. To him, Jesus, this one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory and power forever and ever. It matters that John begins this revelation of Jesus to the church with these words. The one who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his own blood. He has a rich and costly investment in you and me. So, to contract many of the lies and misunderstandings that, that many have as they read through this revelation, the dramatic events to come, let me tell you, he didn't love you and use his own blood to free you to drag you or any other human through torture. I don't know if you heard me. Um, when he paid that high price, it wasn't so he could then turn around and unleash upon you or any other human soul the wrath of God. That was not his intent. That was not his desire. His desire by paying the highest price was that he would have a people 
who are with him, who abide with him, who are in friendship with him. And not just saved from hell, but to be a kingdom and priests. To be those who serve God with him. We serve the Father with Jesus forever and ever. He poured out his blood to raise us up eternally. That is the gift of salvation and the gift of eternal life. This is so important, and I, and I add in to you, but also to any human soul. It's not Jesus' desire to punish anyone. Not one. That's not his desire. And yet he doesn't force his will upon anyone either. That's the answer to the question you wanted to ask me. He doesn't make anyone receive the free gift. But the free gift is absolutely available to any and all. So when we see God unfolding his plan through the book of Revelation, we understand that his desire in all things is to make all things new and to ransom all people. That He's not willing or wanting that any should perish, not one. He gets not a lick of enjoyment when one rejects him and has to experience judgment. We were all, at one time, objects of his wrath. But God, rich in mercy. Hallelujah. So what we've seen so far in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is Jesus' just a little review, his end-time battle plan for the church. It's all about him. It's about his good plans. But to understand that judgments that come originate out of the heart of good and are a part of his goodness. And there are three uh, levels of judgment slash wrath that we see in the book of Revelation. They're described as when Jesus breaks the seals, when the angels blow the trumpets, and when the bowls of wrath in heaven are poured out. And so each of these are literal They are progressive, they get increasingly intense, and they are future. They have not happened yet. And so what we've read so far is Jesus breaking open the seven seals on the scroll that the Father gave him. Uh, The the leadership plan to take over all of creation is in Jesus' hands. We want that. We just talked about it. We want what's in there. What's in there is the renewing of all things, the removal of the curse. It's in there. So if there are seven seals on that to get it open, to get it executed, we want them broken. And so we've read, and, and Marvin looked at this two or three weeks ago, each of those, every time a seal was broken, there was a judgment released on the earth. But understand, it's in Jesus' hands. He's the one breaking the seals. And if Jesus is doing, he's doing something good. He's doing something right. In fact, we want to say yes. Break the seals, Jesus. Break them open so that you can bring forth your plan. There is no other way. So we've seen Jesus break open the seven seals of the scroll, the initial judgment sequence. And I'm going to talk a little bit of education here with with this, but mostly to the heart of the matter because that that is what will carry you through. But So the, the seals are like introductory. We haven't even begun the plan of God yet. We haven't gotten to a place where Jesus can walk out the fullness of the Father's will until those seals are broken. Now we read them all a couple weeks ago, but now they're all broken and the piece where we're jumping in will be in Revelation chapter 8 and 9. 
And, and Jesus can begin to unfurl the God's plan and execute God's plan. And what comes next are the trumpets. And we're going to look at those today. Now, trumpets biblically signify a warning. It's an alert. It's a wake-up call. It says, something's coming. Jesus is coming. Sound the trumpet. So there will be seven trumpets of warning. It's a warning to creation. It's a warning to planet Earth. Jesus is coming. Get ready. Be ready. Jesus is coming. And so we'll be looking at those trumpets today. But we also need to understand the final piece of review that we we looked at is that God's people are sealed. Even as the scroll, and we talked about this several weeks ago, medieval scrolls were sealed, especially if they were going between kingdoms. The king would put his seal on it so that 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 document was kept and sealed for the right person at the right time. So it's not an accident that in Revelation chapter 7, the angel shows John a people who are sealed. They're guarded, they're kept, they're protected for the right person at the right time. He sees uh, all the tribes of Judah, and then he sees a vast multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and language. And most of us, we're in there. Unless you're of Jewish origin, you're in that crowd. And you are sealed by God for him until that day. Do you get what I'm saying? And so you cannot, he will not allow you to be tampered with until he delivers you on that day, okay? So as we read the judgments that come, know that the people of God will be sealed, protected, kept for him unto that day. It doesn't mean we won't be present, but the judgments unleashed are not against us. The judgments unleashed are, first of all, against the Antichrist kingdom, inspired by the devil himself, that will be at work on the earth and is already at work. That's the target. It's not you. His judgments are a warning to the people of the earth who are currently not following him that they should make a choice to follow him and not go down in the day to come when the devil and all who follow him will be thrown into the lake of fire. Judgments in God are mercy. They're to lead people to repentance. If God simply wanted to wipe the slate clean, he'd just pour out the wrath all at once. But progressive, increasing judgments are increasing levels of mercy, stepping it up again and again and again until the fullness of the number of those who will come in will come in. And the gospel being preached to the end of the earth is part of that plan. But today... We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 8 and 9. You guys okay? I've thrown a lot out here already. That was my intro. <laughs> We're going to pray. And today we'll be looking at 8 and 9. Blow the trumpet. Sound the trumpet. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We love you. We honor your leadership. As we open up your word today, would you awaken our hearts to your reality? The facts of the matter would be real to our minds, not just figures and not just something far away, but you would inspire the reality of your kingdom in us today. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. I didn't tell you you to open up your Bible yet, but if you have one, you should open up to Revelation chapter 8. If you like to look at a device, you can get your device going. We'll also put it up here. 
couple of things I just wanted to say, um, again, as we continue to walk through the book of Revelation, um, some people have no experience, some people have negative experience, some people have been taught wrong things. Um, last week I gave you the seven keys to understanding, but one, one that I want to reiterate that I think is so important, I was listening to, to something this week, and I'm like, that's so good, and they weren't even talking about Revelation, but they said, look, the nature of the kingdom, the way we, we receive the kingdom, Jesus said, is like little children. So if we make anything in our walk with God more com- so complicated that a child could not grasp it, we've missed it. So I want you to approach the book of Revelation, but all of the word of God, understanding that if I just come simply like a child wanting to understand, I can. That I'm supposed to receive the kingdom not as a uh, degreed seminarian, but as a child of the Father. So don't overcomplicate it. Come at it simple. And I will tell you, in my experience, I've dove into the book of Revelation, but I feel like I got understanding because I came understanding that I was supposed to understand, that I could come like a child, that God wanted me to understand like he wants you to understand, not because I was a leader or a pastor at the time, but he wanted to give me understanding. So approaching the book just like a kid. Actually, I read the book of Revelation as a kid, and it, like, it totally awakened something in my heart. It was probably my first encounter with, with the Lord was opening up the book of Revelation. I don't remember why I did it, but I remember it. I was probably eight or nine. Um, and uh, I don't know. Actually, it, memories are fuzzy. I'm getting old. But um, I, I remember I was alone. I was alone in our living room. It was, it was at night. And I don't remember why I thought to do it. But something in the moment told me I wanted to go open up the Bible and read it. And I opened up to Revelation. And I started reading. And um, all I could tell you is, it was like Jesus walked in the room. And so forever to me, Revelation was the book where you, you know you're going to run into Jesus. It changed my life forever. And I, I, want, I want to believe that, that for you every step of the way as we, we look at the book of Revelation. So as you approach it, approach it as a child. And as you approach the book of Revelation and world events we're living in right now, Keep your focus simply on Jesus, what he is like. He is good. All right, Revelation chapter 8. Let's actually read it. Um, We're just going to read the first portion, then I'll summarize the rest later. Um, But the first portion is going to start to sound familiar. Revelation chapter 8. When Jesus, he, opened the seventh seal, that's the last one on the scroll, there was silence in heaven. For about half an hour. I'm not really going to wait a half hour. Um, (laughs) And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel who had a golden censer. Just see this part. I want you to use your your holy Jesus childlike imagination and just see what this looks like before the throne of God. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar before the throne. If you didn't know that was there, there it is. And the smoke of that incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Verse 5. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. 
And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes, lightning, and an earthquake. Wow. We're going to stop there for a sec. And then just beyond that part, if we were to keep reading, is where each of the angels sounds a trumpet and a jump at uh, a judgment is released on planet Earth. But you need to see what happened first. This part right here. Okay, Jesus uh, breaks the final seal. He's unfolding the scroll, and something happened. The angels are coming before God. They're given trumpets. This is where things begin. But another angel comes up before the throne of God. If you can imagine the, the throne of God, and in front of the throne of God is a golden altar. That's where they would make sacrifices in the temple. They're not making animal sacrifices on this altar anymore. The, the sacrifice of Jesus has been made, but the altar post-Jesus is about the place of worship. You need to know that. We come as living sacrifices. But he gets to come before this golden altar, and he has heavenly incense in one hand. It was given to him. And then in the other hand, he has the prayers of the saints. Let me just break that down. That's your prayers. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's been given the incense of your own prayers. The prayers of earth have been put in his hands along with a heavenly incense. And he gets to dump those on the altar where fire is already blazing. The fire of heaven. The fire of the Lord's heart is blazing. He pours them on the altar. The incense rises before the throne of God. And then, this is really cool. I don't know. I love this. He gets to scoop out of the altar, right? The incense from heaven, the incense of our prayers, joined together in the fire of God. He scoops them out of the altar, throws them at the earth, and suddenly the activity of God breaks out on the earth. Did you realize how powerful our weak prayers are? Because it's not just our weak words. But when we come before God in any matter, whether it's the end of days or the desires of our heart or the needs we have in our life, those weak words that we have here on earth, like is God even listening, are being collected and they're brought before God and mixed with heavenly prayer. I would have to say even the prayers of Jesus. You know, Jesus ever lives to intercede. So if there's incense from heaven, it's got to be his prayers. Jesus' prayers and your prayers mixed together in this epic combination when it comes before God. Now your prayers aren't just your weak words. It's your words mixed with Jesus' words, mixed with fire from God's throne that then comes back down. So if you're wondering, wonder what happens when I pray, God happens when you pray. The earth changes when you pray. And especially if your prayers are in agreement with Jesus and what he wants to do. That's why he taught us, this is how you pray. Pray, that, pray this way, our Father in heaven, that's worship, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. So the way we pray is from earth to heaven. We want to pray that things on earth would look like heaven. And that's Jesus coming back. But all the way between today and that day are things like, I'm having troubles at work. This person's sick. This person doesn't know the Lord. Well, in heaven, guess what? There's, there's no strife. So you can pray for strife to be ended at your workplace. In heaven, no one's sick. So you can confidently pray for that sick person to be made well. In heaven, everyone knows Jesus. 
So you can confidently pray for that soul to be saved and to know him. That's heaven to earth. Is this making sense? I just want to demystify the prayer language so that it becomes real in your life. If you have a, a situation you don't know what to do with, what does heaven look like in this situation? Is there lack of resource or finance in heaven? The streets are made of gold for crying out loud. So how do I pray for my financial situation? <laughs> no lack. Give me a brick from the street, Jesus. <laughs> or whatever you got. <laughs> I mean, it's like pavement. Hallelujah. Pray from heaven to earth. We bring our prayers before the throne of God. They become something much bigger. Something much more powerful. And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves with these things. I, when I'm feeling like prayer isn't feeling like much or I wonder of its effectiveness, I remember chapter 8 of the book of Revelation. That before God, my weak, weak words that had a little bit of faith, I had enough faith to pray, gets before the throne of God, meets with Jesus' prayers, and that thing is coming back. It's coming back with thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Well, that sounds scary, not if you understand what those means in heaven. Thunder represents the voice of the Lord. You pray, God speaks. Flashes of lightning, that's revelation. When God enlightens the eyes of a heart to see him, to see what we couldn't see before, when he makes dark places light, that's a flash of lightning. How many of you want God to flash light into things that are dark to you? That's what comes down from heaven when we pray. In an earthquake, how many of you ever face something that seems impossible to shake or move? A situation that doesn't look like it could change. God sends an earthquake to shake the things that can be shaken. Nothing's immovable to him. He's the immovable one. That's what comes down from heaven when we pray. And again, to ask, answer the question that I posed last week, when we read the book of Revelation, people want to ask, well, where's the church? Where's the people of God? What are we doing? We are standing before the throne of God as a people of prayer. It is our eternal identity. It is not what we do. It's who we are. And it's not just about asking God to do things. It's about learning to walk in friendship and agreement with Jesus. To abide, to know him, to know his mind. This is how Jesus builds his church, and it is essential. It's essential. I don't want you to hear me say, say okay, prayer, got it, check. I want you to be inspired to walk with Jesus all the time. Please, yes, show up to the prayer meeting, but walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. This is who we are. This is what we're redeemed for. Because what Jesus is going to do to redeem the earth through the end time drama is done in partnership with you and me. We are the kings and priests with him on thrones around him as he's executing his plan. His church, his people are saying yes and amen. When we see the events of the book of Revelation start to unfold, we say yes and amen. Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
Who knows? We, this, this could be even our prayer manual in the days to come. That looks like the fifth seal. Jesus opened the sixth. I mean, it is literal, and it's real. Somebody's going to get to read the playbook as Jesus plays it out. Maybe some of us. Maybe our children. Maybe our grandchildren. It's real. This is real. This is like if they had the book of Acts before the Holy Spirit came, and they got to read along. Okay, next. <laughs> 3,000 are going to get saved in a day. Let's go. Jesus saved the 3,000. I'm looking. I'm waiting. I'm ready. It changes the dynamic of the way we live. We know that Jesus has explained his plan ahead of time. But he will redeem the earth through this drama with us. We will be in agreement. We will be abiding in prayer with him. Even our weak, weak prayers are made powerful. So now I want us to look at what happens with the trumpets. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to summarize it and give you some context for understanding because you know what? You're really smart people, and Jesus says there's a blessing if you will read it. For real, it's in there. Blessed is the one who reads this. So read it. You can read it while I'm talking if you want. Um, but for time's sake, I'm just going to go over it. So there, there are seven trumpets in total, and they're literal, future, progressive, like I said, and numbered, and they each represent, not represent, they are supernatural acts that will happen at the hand of Jesus. When the trumpets are sounded, it will release his activity on the earth, the redemption of the earth. They are limited. The trumpets are limited, and you'll see that there's like a third of this and a third of that. They're not full scale. They, again, are warnings. They serve as warnings to awaken people to the reality of Jesus and call them into his kingdom. And again, they are not aimed at the church. They're aimed at the Antichrist's empire. And you'll see that they, they echo, they parallel the plagues of the Old Testament where God rescued his people from Egypt, and that's not an accident. You can take that story as a parallel of what God will do at the end of days. So the first trumpet is, a, is targeted at the food supply of the earth in the Antichrist kingdom. So it says that a third of the earth's vegetation will be burned in Revelation 8 7. Okay? The second trumpet, I think I have a slide with all these on there too. The second trumpet is another um, judgment aimed at the food supply. Again, all of this is to, to punish the Antichrist kingdom, to discipline the Antichrist kingdom. It destroys a third of the sea, becomes blood in Revelation 8, 8 and 9. The third trumpet hits the water supply, poisoning a third of the earth's fresh water. The fourth trumpet darkens a third of the earth's light. But again, this all happened in the Exodus, right? The, the river turned to blood. There was darkness that came. The locusts hit the crops. This, this, this is on purpose supposed to make you think, this sounds familiar. Fifth trumpet Release demonic locusts. Now that sounds really familiar. That torment those who do not have the seal of God for five months. So the sixth trumpet uh, releases death, killing a third of the earth. A demonic horseman comes and kills the earth. That's all at Revelation chapter 8 and 9. Now the seventh trumpet isn't explained until um, chapter 11, which is actually when... Um, Jesus comes down, gathers the church together. You could call it the rapture with you, if you will. The seventh trumpet, which Paul said, when's that going to happen? At the last trumpet. 
oh, that really makes sense now. That will happen. So that's Revelation chapter 11. We'll get to that next. And after that, we will ride with him into Armageddon war, and uh, the bowls of wrath will come on the earth. So the trumpets, these seven, I'm just, that's all I'm going to tell you. Go read it. It's all in there. You want, I want you to see what they are, that they're limited. I want you to see that they look like the plagues on purpose, but that they are a warning of something more to come. And his announcement of defeat, they're limited in a way of Jesus saying, look, I have all power over these other kingdoms. And I could remove them like this. But he's using a limited exertion of power to call unbelievers to repentance. How do we know this? Well, it says in in chapter 9, he did all these things, and yet many did not repent of their witchcraft, of their immorality, of their thefts. And he specifically says this thing. We're going to talk about those in a minute. But that tells us that the point of the matter was to cause people to repent, to turn them away from the things that are destroying them, the things that are destroying the earth, the things that the Antichrist and the devil himself has inspired them to do. The the point of it is to point them to Jesus, to cause them to turn away, to see, wait a minute, there's something bigger going on here. There's a higher power above the power I've been living under, and I want that. I want to be free of this, and many will come. They are like the plagues of Pharaoh. Um, there's this uh, kid's song that we used to listen to uh, when my kids were younger. I think we might have the CD back there, but it, it was a song, uh, CD called Songbirds, had all these great songs. And one was about, um, and for some reason my kids wanted to listen to this one over and over and over and over. Play the Egypt song. And uh, so it sings about the Exodus. And it says, um, you know, this plague came, and they, they make it fun, you know, whatever. But, the, you know, say, and each plague is listed, like, and then there were frogs. And they're like, ew, ew, you know, it's really fun. Uh, but then the final uh, statement after each of the plagues, plagues is, but not in Goshen. All the plagues came on Egypt, but not in Goshen. So I love that refrain on it, not in Goshen. Uh, and it tells us of what, and what was in Goshen was the people of God. He had set them in that place, and he had commanded them to slaughter the Passover lamb, put the blood over their doorposts, and then to consume the entire lamb. Now, what is that about? Jesus. It's about having the blood of Jesus on the doorposts of our hearts. It's about consuming all that he is. As he even said, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Those who have said yes completely to Jesus are as if they're in Goshen. These plagues hit the earth, but not them. Not in Goshen. Not on the people of God. Not on those who have the blood of the lamb on their hearts. Not on those who have consumed all of his person and have submitted themselves to his leadership. That's awesome. That's an awesome promise. So it's not for us to fear. But I do want to say this. That repentance piece is is really important, I think, for us to stay as the people of God, to live as the people of God. And and as the word says, and and was said to the Israelites, to come out from among them, uh, is not that we would create a separatist mentality and not live in the world that we live in, It's about the way we live. But in that day, not in Goshen, the the church 
is going to function like a corporate Moses through the ministry of prayer, releasing the plagues on the, the demonic kingdom of the Antichrist. I don't know about you. I want to be a part of that. <laughs> I want to be a part of Jesus releasing his fiery arrows against the devil. Because I'm tired of the devil being a punk. That's where we will stand. But they did not repent of their murders, their sorcery, their immorality, their thefts. In that day, before Jesus returns, the, the seed and the fruit, the fruit of sin will be in full bloom on the earth. I mean, we see lots today. We look at the world today and we think, this is messed up. But there's going to come a day where even the, the things that are small will be full-blown. And, and that's not fun to think about, but that is the reality. It will be in full bloom, and also the righteousness and beauty of the bride, the church, will be in full bloom. And that's why Jesus will come and harvest the earth. He will harvest his people, and we will harvest the sin and do away with it, and he will harvest the people of God and bring them to himself. But the seeds of these sins are alive in the world today, and we call it the spirit of Antichrist. And I don't want to get heavy on you today, but I feel like the Holy Spirit would want to awaken us and to help us live a life where we turn away, where we respond today to not a trumpet sounding, but the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Because we have the Holy Spirit like a trumpet in our ear saying, no, no, turn away. No, no, turn away. And so I want to look quickly at these four areas that the Holy Spirit highlights as what the Lord calls the earth to repent of because we as the people of God should find ourselves and, and keep ourselves completely free of those things that he wants to cleanse the earth of. Amen? And so we want to be able to identify and then turn. Repent simply means to turn away. This was our, our kids' church lesson a week ago or two weeks, wasn't it, Ruby? What is repentance? As we turn from sin, we turn to Jesus. Um, but the four things, how do they relate to us, are simple. You can actually look in the Gospels, I would say even in the um, Sermon on the Mount to find these. But he mentions the spirit of, he mentions murder, sorcery, immorality, and theft. So the spirit of murder is not full-blown in the earth, but we see evidence of it already, don't we? But how might, you say, well, I've never killed anyone, Right? Good, I'm glad. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, but the spirit of murder is at its root the devaluing of any human life. That's the spirit of it. That's the seed of it. And when Jesus said in the, in the Beatitudes, he says, if you've said to anyone, you said to your brother Raka, which means fool, you're a fool. You've, you've subjugated your opinion of them and said, you're less than, you don't count, you don't matter. If you're in that place, it's as if you killed them. That's what he said. Jesus' words, not mine. So the spirit of murder is that place of unresolved, unrighteous anger or unforgiveness or even despising others. That, that term rock was a despising derogatory term. And that's why he called us then to love even our enemies. And to pray for those who persecute you. It doesn't mean you have to go and be their best friend and give them a big hug. But you never in the kingdom of God have the, the opportunity or permission to devalue another human being. You're called to love. You're called to pray. 
We want to, when we find in our own hearts unresolved anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, we want to quickly turn back to Jesus because that's not him. And when it comes again, turn back to Jesus. And when it comes back again, turn back to Jesus. It's, it's, and anytime you realize that you're entertaining this in your heart, you need to say, thank you, Jesus, because it's his kindness to you. You don't need to feel condemnation about, oh, man, I sinned in this. I'm carrying this. God's so mad at me. No, the reason you see it is because he's kind. <laughs> he's like, hey, no, let's not do that. It's the kindness of God. And when you see it, you're like, oh, turn to Jesus. When the revelation lightning strikes your heart, that you're in that place, turn to Jesus. Uproot every seed of that spirit of murder. The, the spirit of immor, um, sorcery, at the end of the day, is about wanting to take power over other things in the place of, and, and trying to play God in a sense. And so simple things, even like manipulation um, or participating in false, false spirituality, whether that's like fortune-telling or astrology. And there's a million ways you could do that. Even there's, there's a false spirituality that, that raises up in Christian circles. We just don't want anything with falseness or trying to manipulate people or, or circumstances or even spiritual things. We're not here to manipulate anything or anyone. We're here to le lower ourselves and lean into the leadership of Jesus. We're here to submit to his authority. The spirit of sorcery is when we try to use whatever power, means, or influence we have to get our way instead of asking God to have his way. Does that make sense? We don't want anything to do with that. Spirit of immorality is the entertainment of lust, uh, maybe pornography, fornication. These things are obvious. They, again, they start as seeds in the heart. And Jesus, again, addressed it. He's about uprooting the seed in us. Don't even allow the seed. Well, what if I see the seed? Turn to Jesus. I won't do that again. Just turn to Jesus. And thefts. He, he, they say they did not re repent of their thefts. And you say, well, I've never stolen anything but it starts as a seed. When you covet, when you want what you don't have, when you want what you can't have, when you let that, that desire rule you, even the love of money, or even, I would say, consistent ungratefulness is the seed of theft. Because consistent ungratefulness will leave us dissatisfied and cause us to want to take things that don't belong to us. Cause us to want to get things that aren't ours in the will of God yet. We won't be willing to wait for God's provision. We'll want to take the provision for ourselves. That's the spirit of theft. And when you see that in you, turn to Jesus. Oh, get really condemned and heavy and feel bad. Turn to Jesus. First part is no, don't do that. Turn to Jesus. And repentance is a gift. We have freely given today until the day he seals the deal on this. We have the gift of repentance in the kindness of God leading us back to him on a daily level. We have to cultivate and keep tender hearts. 
Don't, don't even now sit in your seat, well, well, not, well, not me, I don't, I don't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's, that's the seed of hardening your heart. Lord, I, if, if, I'm, if I have seeds in me, if I've participated in that spirit that is of an end Christ, just show me. I'm, I'm ready to be shown. I'm ready to be repentant. I'm ready to turn back to you. Keep a tender heart. Keep a humble heart. And you won't have anything to worry about. You won't have anything to feel condemned about. Just keep that heart tender. Because he's way better at showing you than you are at making yourself right. He's way better at leading you back to himself than you are about keeping yourself righteous. Just when he shows you, turn to Jesus. I would say the whispers of the Holy Spirit that we get to experience today are the seed form of the judgments to come. Because they lead us to mercy. It's like the trumpet call to the believer today and to any person on the earth is when the Holy Spirit or the conscience says, hey, that's not okay. It's like the trumpet coming from the future to speak to our hearts. Don't wait till the seals are broken and, the, and a third of the earth is being burned. Have a tender heart to repent today. God so delights in showing mercy. Nothing makes him happier than showing mercy and loving you over and over and over and over again. You know he never gets tired of it? You ever had somebody do something over and over and over again that was wrong? You get tired. God doesn't get tired of showing mercy. He loves to show mercy. He loves to be kind to us. And when we are tender, when we turn to him, we will find ourselves in the Psalm 91 place. You become the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And nothing can touch you there. You guys know that song? You don't have to fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes in noonday. Let me read the first part. You will not fear those things. A thousand could fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is your refuge, know, you, you know these are God's words, right? This isn't just like some feel good. It's God's words. Okay, I'm just going to finish it. Just, I had to say that first. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague Come near your tent. Psalm 91, verse 10. If you don't believe me, go read it. I didn't say it. I didn't write it. He said it, and there it is. You can lean on that. The story of Jesus' return, we're going to wrap up, is so, so good for those who know him. So, so good who's fully relying on Jesus and, and should motivate us to invite others in, right? Right? <laughs> And this is for anyone. And these are the days of grace, the days of mercy. We want to invite people into the story 
It's a story of redemption, the story of Jesus and his perfect love. Because his love isn't just for us, is it? It's for all mankind. He, wants, he is right now at work to draw all people to himself, even through you. Will they respond? Will they say yes? Will they turn to him and find life to the full? That's not up to us. We do get to offer them opportunity. But it may be our lives lived free of the seeds of Antichrist's spirit. And it might be our prayers before the throne of God that come down and thunder the voice of the Lord in their ears. That come down and reveal Jesus to their hearts. Our prayers that come down and shake the things holding them captive so they can walk into the kingdom. It's a lot of fun to be in this kingdom, isn't it? I love it. As friends of Jesus, we abide in him. We agree with him. And we give ourselves to a life of love. Amen? Let's stand together. Justin, I meant to ask you before, would you mind?